Life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submit. There is a light somewhere. There is a way out. If you're going to try, go all the way. Otherwise, don't even start. If you're going to try, go all the way. There will be derision, punishment, mockery. I All the others are a test of your endurance, of how much you really want to do it. And you'll do it despite rejection and the worst odds. And it will be the most you can imagine. If you try, go all the way. There is no feeling left. Do it. Do it. Do it. Go all the way. Welcome to Rebellion. This was the opening, my friends. Hey, we're of, not Rebellion. This is the opening, my friends, of Rebellion on Impact Plus, night one. Uh, it shared last Tuesday on Access TV and is now available on Impact Plus. And they are words from a poem by Charles Bukowski. They're not all the words. It's not even not even every word in there is actually from his poem. But it's a cool poem. It's, I'm glad they used that. I just wish that the paper would actually fit those words. <laughs> well, to me, that was the highlight of the entire program. Wow. That's that's uh, that's saying something right there. I mean, there were um, a few little. You, you know, the, um, before we get too far, I'm going to say we are on LP radio and also YouTube. I'm your host, Dan Manchin Sabunia. Uh, my good buddy Jeff is talking in the other end, and, and Jeff is going to see. I do want to say that I also want to bring up the fact that you know, um, or so. I know you've been thinking to yourself a question. You've done the show, internalized it a lot, but now you have an answer, and and you know, and and you're going to have it going forward on impact. I'm happy for you. That question first was, where is Crazy Steve, and why hasn't he been signed to a major contract? <laughs> you know, I'm going to take that back. There was one other really a highlight of rebellion. <laughs> and honestly, that was, um, uh, Madison rain's commentary. <laughs> I thought she was, she was brilliant all night long. She was great in her little barbs against, uh, a, a she was, she was kind of set on and pretty much every, everything. Did. I, I absolutely loved her commentary. Yeah. It's weird because, you know, we both kind of watched the leading up to get caught up on what was going on. After they were together, she played it completely straight. Yep. <laughs> and the last impact before um, Rebellion and then the Rebellion itself, she just tore into Josh mercilessly. Yeah, she just went straight up heel and just tore into Josh and and was like vicious. And there wasn't even any, um, she didn't pull any punch. She just went all out on him. And, and my favorite was the wine tasting. Um, I was about to say that was great when... <laughs> The wine tasting was great, and 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 you know it's and you know as as great as it is to have uh, to have Don Callis always come, you know anytime Madison Rainbringer out there, Josh's you know love life and how he'd never be able to get a woman or and uh, and uh, for the, for the entire time as well, like you know we're not going to impact plus and chill Josh It's never going to happen. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. That one, the wine tasting, really good to him. That made me uh, made me very very happy. Yeah, I'm and, not going to lie. She said that she. Uh, she thinks that she muted him on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, that band or, uh, or deleted him, but just muted him. So like, he can see all he wants to, <laughs> she's never going to see it. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 she was definitely uh, out of, out of this, 
these matches. I thought the Rascals did well. Um, I actually didn't hate that open match, but whenever Jake Chris is in a match, it's hard to. Um, I thought, what? huh? Whenever what's in a match? Jake Christ. Oh, okay. No, I actually, you know, we, you know, we, we really have been hard on Crazy Steve the last couple of years because he was so terrible in that Vampiro. Was and, was he terrible or was it Vampiro that was just that? Because Vampiro was blown up by the time he walked down to the ring. Well, I was going to say, and also, we, he was he was part of that of that surprise tag team at um, the NWA 70th anniversary special that we thought that we just kind of. Um, blasted as well but but really crazy steve is a very talented performer yeah i mean he did give a compelling promo after the um the commercial break so it wasn't he's not horrible he was actually probably next to jake chris probably the most crisp guy in this match mm-hmm. um and not i'm not really playing crazy steve you know when i when i'm back within the worst match of all time it's not because crazy steve crazy steve did could with what he had to work with but when your opponent can't even breathe after he walked, that's an issue. Not to deal with with Vampire or Vampiro Vampire. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. You know, but he was still half of one of the worst tag, of maybe the worst match in the history of pro wrestling. That is true. And I think that is unforgivable. Um, but I'm willing to overlook it and just have it as an asterisk on his career if he continues. Because, I, I mean, his... His promo skills were aren't that bad, you know, and his um, he does charisma. He's, you know, I've never really been into those kind of. It's it's one of the few things like about Darby Allen. I'm not a fan of. I've never really been into the face paint type thing. Um, you know, saying it was that that became part of him, and then it was like everybody's with it, but not with it. I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan of it, but you know. He he was he gave a pretty compelling promo. He was actually really crisp in the ring. He seemed to be pretty much carrying the match whenever Jake Crist wasn't in there. Uh, it, I I felt like he did a good job, so I'm not going to rag on him too much. And I might actually forgive him because I think his partner was more to blame than him for that horrible horrible oh, display. Definitely, definitely, he was. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Van Perro should not have been anywhere near arresting me that night. So. No, um, uh, not even on commentary. And he's a good no. commentator too. I love him on Lucha Underground. But um, yeah, you know the, the thing with this match is, you know, you look at it and you're like, and you know, I, I think a lot of people would look at this and go, Rhino, Tommy Dreamer, and Crazy Steve, what a team! I thought I thought it was weird that Crazy Steve was was the partner of Rhino and um, Dreamer, just because you know you would expect it, you would have expected one of the hardcore legends to be their their partner. Like, uh, I'm glad it wasn't like Sandman, but you would have expected it to be like Sandman or Sabu, um, but Really, there's nobody in this match that cannot go. You know, you know, you know. I, I, lo- you know, I love all the guys in OBE. Um, Crazy Steve, like I just said, is an actual really good wrestler. Rhino has always been great. Dreamer's always Dreamer's been great for a long time. You know, so I mean, really, there's there's no reason this match shouldn't have been good, and it was good. You know. See now, when I look great, at but it was good. When I look at the ECW originals and the ones that are still wrestling, Tommy Dreamer and Rhino are the only two that I'm not upset about like the rest of them. I just wish they'd go away, but I don't mind watching Rhino. I think Rhino is still, I, the fact that Rhino never got more run with anything than he did is just mind blowing to me. 
Uh, and Tommy Dreamer, as much as I criticize him at times because I think it, it gets a little much with all of his hardcore antics in every single match, even when they're not hardcore matches, I still respect the guy, and he does put on a hell of a show. He's a hell of a worker. And he's not – he's never been a guy that's afraid to poke fun at himself, like his whole assisted kip-up thing. Um, that he did in this match, he's, he's just, he's always out there having a decent, good time. You can tell it in his matches and he's, he's one of the best of all time. He is. And, and, you know, thanks for bringing that up because that actually is something I wanted to talk about is, you know, that, that would have been a great spot to do if there was actually, actually a crowd. I thought it looked, I thought it was absolutely, I thought it was absolutely, uh, lame, (laughs) doing it with no crowd out there you know I mean, yeah that's, it's, a, it's a spot where the crowd you know egging him on would have worked really well and would have been a great moment but when there's no crowd out there to do that it just fell completely flat to me but at least it wasn't a ladder match with two people standing on top of the ladder looking around to the crowd to find out what happened <laughs> very true um the other thing i want to say about what you said about you know the about the heart you know the old time ecw guys there's one more guy that still wrestles out there that I still enjoy the hell out of when I see him, and that's Guido Maritato. You know, but I mean, I definitely agree with you that Johnny Swinger. I guess I don't see him often enough. I, I don't. I don't want him. I don't want them around anymore. I mean, Johnny Swinger is okay. No, just he's not, not. Just not in a wrestling ring. I think he'd make a hell of a manager with his gimmick. Oh my god, he annoys the fuck Try- out of me. I, but and I I I do have some intrigue in his teaming up with Disco. Um, but ultimately I don't want him anywhere near a ring. I, I, I'm so disgusted with this Rob Van Dam character that he's doing. Oh, great. We get to see a couple of hot chicks with him. That's about the extent of what I like about his entire character. Yeah, but you haven't seen him. I don't think you've seen, you've actually seen him with, uh, Joseph Ryan yet. Oh, no, no, I haven't seen any of that. So, so that's actually kind of a fun gimmick. I just think, I just think that, you know, um, RVD and Katie weren't around, haven't been around because of the COVID stuff. Well, I mean, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a big fan of his. I, I think the fact that he talks so much about being an innovator, and I mean, we've yes, okay, a couple of his moves, especially like the coast to coast, and um, you know that stuff got duplicated. But so much of his stuff was done with a chair that it can't be duplicated. And makes sense in 99.9% of matches. So he was never really, he was never really, um, you know, ripped off like he tries to say. I mean, we, we talked about it before. You want to talk about guys that were innovators. You got Shane Helms. You got um, uh, the guy that played Mortis. I can't think of his name now. We don't need to, we don't need to retread all that, Jeff. I'm yeah. just saying that I think. I think Please, can we, can we retread it? Can we retread no. it so I can get my mind off RVD? No. There's no reason to. I want to. I want to. <laughs> you don't always get what you want. I never get what um, I want. You know, I, I would say that um, about this. The other thing I'd say about this match is that, you know, OBE lost again. They haven't won a match in like three months. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, with this loss and then finding, you know, with what happened with, with Sammy Callan at the end of at the end of the night, you know, they can regroup and they can actually start winning some matches again because it's kind of getting old that, you know, with them being such a losing streak. Yeah, I mean it was it was okay when Jake Chris was like the um X Division champion, but now that he doesn't have a title and they keep losing, it's they're getting close to being buried. Yeah. 
and and I, and that's why I'm hoping this is going somewhere that you know it's it's just you know they were losing because um, Sammy wasn't around now that now that he's back but he's kind of rejected them that they kind of regroup and, and start you know taking over again. Yeah, I, uh, we'll get to that. I did not say, hey, Google, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I mean, we, you know, not like we really need to go through with anything in order, but since you brought up Sammy, I, this match was that Ken Shamrock-Sammy Calhoun match. First of all, it was only 10 minutes long. It was 10 minutes too long. I mean, there was <laughs> 44 seconds of it were in the ring, and then they fought backstage, and then all of a sudden it skipped to a pre-recorded segment. Yep. which was horribly done. And the whole pre-recorded segment was just a cross between the Boneyard match and Edge and Christian's, or I, I'm sorry, Edge and uh, Randy Orton's uh, brawl, or their you know street fight or whatever they had. The only thing that would have made it almost identical would have been if they got on top of that truck out at the end. Yeah, just like Gargano and Champa did as well. Right, and um, the thing... the. Th- the thing with Sammy, and I, I mean, you talked about him rejecting OVE. Did he really? Because he is clearly not a face. That was clearly not a face turn for him. And he's treated everybody in OVE like that before. So it's not surprising. He'll probably run it off as some tough, tough love type thing and just continue on with the way they've been. He's never treated them that way before, where he knocks them all out with a like a blackjack or a baseball bat or whatever the, whatever the hell it was. At the end of the no, game. but he was in the middle of a battle, so it kind of made a little more sense that he got a little more hot-headed, but he's always been a little rough on them. A little, but not to that extreme. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's definitely I think definitely OBE is over at this point. Or, or at the very least, they're going to have to prove, him, prove themselves to him to get him back as their leader. Um. But and you know what? Everything you said was true, and I would have been I would have been perfectly fine with it all happening if the right guy had won that match. Right. But I mean, uh, you you can't have this. You can't have you know the show start with a poem about going all the way, seeing everything through, and then having the guy that you know started the feud in the main event fucking pass out to lose it and pass out to an ankle lock. Yeah. When was the last time anybody passed out to an ankle lock after 35 seconds of being in the hold? You know, I'll you built an ankle match at some point, but I, yeah, I, mean, I get your point. You built Sammy up to this unstoppable force on his way to win the title. You punk him out to uh, Tessa Blanchard in one of the worst, you know, it, arguably one of the worst displays of Sammy's life. The worst I still to this point. I still will say that Sammy's uh, performance in that is what brought that down so badly because he was so over the top as a heel. Um, but Sammy, Sammy, you, we know he's a hell of a worker. We know what he was getting into with this match with 55-year-old Ken Shamrock. They're not gonna, it's not like they're going to go out there and have a five-star classic. But with the way this went, 10 minutes, <coughs> this match should have been Stand up, blood and guts, beat down. There's nobody to stop them because it's just the referee. You know, and they should have just fought and fought and fought until somebody finally passed out. Not a shitty little pass out like that because of an ankle lock 10 minutes into a match. 
And what is the value of Ken Shamrock to that promotion if he's not going to lose a goddamn match? Right, if he's not going to put people over. He's still a big name. Yeah. He's still one of the baddest men on the planet, even at, what is he, 52 or 54, something like that? This was a five, so we'll just go with that. I have no idea, but he could be seventy for all I know. But I know he's in his fifties. His his first match back, he barely lost to Moose by absolute cheating. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, he still he still ended up looking better than Moose in that match. His second, you know, then he then his his next pay per view match, he beats um, um, Mad Men Fulton, and now his third one, he beats goddamn Sammy Callahan. So if he's not there to to put people over what the fuck is he there for i mean and, and you know what and you know what i am very happy for ken shamrock that he's going to, that he's going to be in the tna hall of fame this year for, for the first time ever the tna hall of fame will actually fucking mean something because because in my mind if aj styles or ken shamrock was not your first inductee in that into that thing you should never have existed in the first place so well, finally one of those two guys is finally going to be fucking inducted in the hall of fame will actually matter but I mean, Shamrock, well, you... Shamrock in this day. No, don't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken Shamrock in this day and goddamn age should not be should not be beating a main eventer in a match. At the time that the um, TNA Hall of Fame was made up, um, wasn't AJ still under contract with them? Yes, he was. Oh, but they did put Kurt Angle in as a first ballot. Well, he was still under contact contract and wrestling with them, but at least it was his last year with the company. Everybody else they put in there has been a wrestling had a wrestling match for the, for them that same year. Oh, really? I think so. I guess I haven't paid that close of attention to their Hall of Fame because it's he, really he, pointless. But I, I think the last one that went in was Abyss last year, right? And he had a, and he had matches last year. Well, he had a he had his you know the standard Hall of Fame inductee match where they come back and and have that one match right on their induction night or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, are you the list of guys that were went in that went in, in there and AJ Styles is never going to be in there now, unless it's like you know years after after he's retired. I mean, they got a fucking Sting, Kurt Angle, um, Gail Kim. Uh, I think Jarrett's in there. Team 3D's in there. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? See, and I can't. It, 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 it took them until last goddamn year to put in a TNA original in there. Who'd they put in last year? Abyss. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd, uh, yeah. The fact that AJ's not in there yet is mind blowing. He should unless... have been the first inductee if it wasn't Ken Shamrock. I will always have that opinion. Yeah. Considering that they did induct um, Kurt Angle while he was still their heavyweight champion. You know, it's, I mean, they pretty much forewent all the rules that you've got to be retired and this long out of it and whatever as soon as they inducted Kurt Angle. So why not put in the best product you've ever produced and the fact that he's still not in you know this many years later is just embarrassing right i mean it just shows that it just shows the disrespect that teeny always had for, for ej styles yeah it's not like i mean especially now that they're not owned by um dixie anymore you know now that they're owned by impact or anthem you know anthem companies or, or whatever they're called um it's not. It doesn't have the same ties anymore. So I want to honor 
the truly greats of their company to build. Could you imagine what that would do for buy rates? How many people up there are just WWE fans that don't realize they can go back and watch some of this greatness that AJ Styles did on, on the Impact Plus match on, a, app? Well, he's never going to be inducted as, as long as he's a member of the WWE roster. Yeah, I know. I understand that. But I'm just saying, it's like, could you, with a company, an upstart company like this, when there's already a precedence that there's really no rules on who's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. it's stupid for them not to capitalize on the best wrestler. You know, they could have done it three years ago when he was considered the best wrestler on the planet. Yeah. So here's who's who's, who's currently a member of the TNA Hall of Fame. And there was, and they didn't invite anybody in 2014. 2017 or actually 2019 so this was actually in 18 so sting and kurt angle and jeff jarrett were the first three inductees all three guys who had their best success in other companies um jarrett's i guess arguable but i would say he's well kurt angle kurt angle's arguable too because he spent the majority of his career with tna but he got but he was well known and, a, and a, like a like a five time six time WWF champion before oh, yeah. going into to TNA. Yeah, that's true. Um, Earl Hebner, who obviously had his most success in the WWE, uh, Gail Kim, um, Abyss, and Ken Shamrock. So I guess Gail Kim technically is the first TNA original um, to be. Was she? I guess she she wasn't original, wasn't she? Because she was on those 2002 Asylum stuff, and then she went to WWF, and then went back to T, uh, TNA, made a name for herself in TNA, then went back to WWE, lasted for like three weeks, and then was back in TNA again. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so I mean, to me, I I, I just think that it's ridiculous that the first three people were Sting, Kurt Angle, and Jeff Jarrett. It should have been AJ Styles and then Ken Shamrock or vice versa. Jarrett's fine, but I think you know Sting being inducted there is just completely fucking ridiculous. Yeah, considering he pretty much lived off of his WCW run, the entire TNA run, right down to keeping the same character for the first eight years of existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know they didn't induct in 2014. That easily could have been the year they inducted. AJ Styles as well to at least get him in there. I understand why they didn't though. That was Dixie Carter and he had just left that year. So, or no, he had left the year before, didn't he? Because he joined, when did he join WWE? Was it 16 or 14? 16. Okay. So he just left in 14 then. He left at the end of 14 though. They were still trying to negotiate his contract during down for glory, which is, which is when they typically have their hall of fame ceremony, which would have been a good time to put him in the hall of fame. You think, (laughs) <laughs> hey, you can't leave now. We just put you in our Hall of Fame. That might have been a, that might have been a good incentive to keep him there, don't you, don't you think? You think? So. Yeah, possibly. Could you imagine if he had been a lifer in TNA? You know, if if he was still wrestling for Impact and he'd never left TNA to go to Japan and and WWE, would would the whole world be talking about him in the light that they are? The whole world wouldn't be. You and I still would be, but not the whole world. Or would he, you know, have ended up being kind of like a, um, well, like a Sting, to be honest. I mean, Sting never wrestling for the WWE. It's not like, I, it, I guess, during the WCW time, that's that's kind of an unfair comparison because of how the heights that got to. But 
I can't think of another wrestler out there that would be in that kind of light, being considered one of the greatest ever step in a ring, but not have the fanfare that he does. Yeah, I mean, I I think that sadly, you know, it's still even in this day, even in this day and age of all the streaming services and every, everything you can watch, that it's still, you know, basically taking for granted. You have to have had a good run in the WWE to to be an all time great. Yeah, which is kind of sad. Which is really kind of sad. And, it, it, you know, when you talk about that, it makes me wonder how many, because we just don't physically have the time to watch stuff. Like, uh, um, I can't remember that guy's name, but the guy that, that went against Osprey not too long ago. Dowie James. Yeah, I mean, we we can't watch a Dowie James match, but how good is he? You know, is he one of those guys that's as great as AJ Styles was in a in a company that we've never really heard of? Yeah, I mean, and and is he? And are there guys out there that are that great, but they don't want to leave their home countries? You know, like Walter was for so many years. Exactly. I mean, but, I mean, how great is David Starr? And probably ninety-five percent of wrestling fans don't even know who the hell he is. That's a good comparison. Yeah, David Starr is is probably the best unsigned wrestler right now. Yep. Exactly. All right. So. Where do you want to go from here? Do we, do we have to, I don't think we even have to talk about Kylie Ray versus Kira Hogan, do we? I don't know that I care about the rest of these matches. I mean, to be well, honest... You've got, the, you've got to have you've got to have some opinion on of Ace Austin versus Willie Mack. It, it sucked. It's terrible. I hate Willie Mack with a passion. I hate his character. I hate his aw shucks attitude um, while trying to be a badass at the same time. And then the fact that he went over Ace Austin pisses me off even more. I Ace put I I will say they did put on a pretty decent match. Ace Austin really It was to me the match of the night. Yeah, cuz the rest of it was crap. <laughs> um <laughs> you know, that's like saying you found a peanut and a turd. It's not that exciting. Whoa, 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 but it wait, wasn't Wait, who goes looking for through turds for anything, much less a peanut? Well, you know, sometimes you get a little hungry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It, I mean, Ace, really satisfies. <laughs> Ace Austin's performance was pretty good. I, I, I'll give him that, but it was what we expect from him. Willie Mack's attitude and his, um, you know, his whole character just annoys me so bad that I can't watch when he's on the screen. I can't listen to his promos. I can't. He's just, he's terrible to me. And this was technically really the only match that had any time to breathe. It was 13 minutes long. Yeah, I thought actually that it was a very solid match, and I, and I and I didn't see the end coming. I really thought something was going to happen where I, where East would, would hold on to the title. But you know, he did have a good run with it. He held the title for a good six months. So you know what would have been great? A great way to end this match. Something I've been screaming for for the last year, and we never seem to get. This would have been a great spot for Rich Swan heel turn that they've been teasing for eight months. It would have been, but if he but if he had done it to cost Willie Mack the championship, then we would have been screaming at it the same. We should be screaming at it the same way we screamed at Johnny Gargano costing Champa the match. Yeah, but at least this would have we this we would have seen coming. You know. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> where at least, the, but it's, it still may, it still would make no sense. I mean, it would have made no, a lot more sense for Swan to attack him after the match, but that didn't happen either. Right. To me, I mean, Rich Swan being there was completely pointless. Well, I think that. Well, yeah, because he didn't even come to ringside, did he? Not no. After the match was over, he stood on the apron and cheered 
back as Mac walked back. Because that would have been, you know, and yeah, okay, even if Willie Mac had won, you're right. And and I thought that too. Willie Mac should have won the match, and then Rich Swan should have turned on him. Yeah. You know, and they could have. They've. It's something they've been teasing for eight months, and it would have been a perfect professional jealousy moment for it to happen. Instead, we got another lame promo with Johnny Swinger. And them sneaking out the back door to party. You just got done saying how great Johnny Swinger is on the mic, and now you're now you're saying he does lame promos. Make up it's your not, mind. I I'm not saying an, I, I I guess I worded that wrong. I think he, he I think his character would be would make for a great manager. I'm not saying he's an all time great talker, but I think his character would make for a, a fun manager for somebody. Um, but it was another same old same old Willie Mac. Rich Swan promo that we've seen for the last eight months, and then you throw in uh, Johnny Swinger with his crazy thinks he's Willie Mac's best friend promo again. Yeah. I would have rather I would have rather rather seen Rich Swan turn on Willie Mac at that point. Yeah, I, I do. I do not understand why Johnny Swinger has a job. <laughs> and then why? I, I, I mean, I, I I hate saying that, and that's you know, especially this time of the year. I mean, you really don't want to. You know, wish anybody not to, you know, to be unemployed. But at the same time, like, I just don't understand the appeal of Johnny Swinger to anybody, and much less why he was hired in the spot that he was hired in. You know what it reminds me of? Remember when Hogan? Remember when Hogan and Bischoff went to TNA and they started hiring all their friends? Yes. Don Callis pretty much owns TNA now, or you know, is you know not one of the owners, but he's the president. Yes. He's the president, and all of a sudden, all of his ECW friends have jobs again. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for that, just because they're guys you know, you know what they can do, you know what they can trust. But at the same time, I just think there's other guys you could bring in that would do a better job than Swinger. Like half the WWE roster that just got fired? Mm, half is probably pushing it. All right. they They could have a spot for quite a few of them, though. Especially a guy like EC3 and Drake Maverick. Yeah, but is Drake Maverick really fired? I don't care, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, um, I, the only other thing about this t- show I kind of want to mention is I'm glad that them, I'm glad that the Rascals won their match, and that was, which was a bit of God. a course correction on that on that you know Fatal Four where they had like just a week before where fucking TJP and Falaba won instead of the Rascals. So I'm, I'm glad the Rascals got a victory here to kind of course correct that and hopefully put them back in the driver's seat for, for a shot at those tag titles again. The only thing I have to say about this match, uh, other than the fact that, yeah, um, Rascals, were they, they were the highlight of the match. You know, they were fun oh. to watch. They, you know, they were... <laughs> They were fun to watch. They, you know, it's nice to see them as a tag team. It's weird seeing Dez and not Trey because forever it was Trey and Wentz, and now it's Dez and Wentz while Trey's doing the, his solo career. Mm-hmm. But it was nice. It was nice to see them. But the only thing I can really remember about this match that really stuck out to me is the opening scene when AC Romero, Larry D, and Falaba. All three were standing on the same side of the ring. And the only thing I could think in my head is, how the fuck much support do they have on that ring? (laughs) 
I'm serious. That was like a thousand pounds of man standing on that on that side of the ring. Yeah. How did it not crumble? No, I mean, I, I don't hate there. I don't, and I don't hate EC Romero and Larry D as much as the team as I did, you know, before. Um, so I mean, they're I guess they're growing on me a little bit, but I, I really think Larry D has a stupid fucking name. I don't hate AC Romero and Larry D as a team as much as I hated them individually. But I still don't like either one of them. Yeah, I know you've hated it. I think AC Romero would work, would work wonderful as a Vader type, you know, heel. But they'll I, I'm just But they haven't done that yet with him. They did it in MLW, they've done it in Impact. I'm just sick and tired of hearing about how athletic AC Romero is and then watch him run in slow motion while they're saying he's such a superior athlete. Well, you have to be some kind of an athlete to be able to move at all with the size of that guy. Yeah, you're I mean you're four hundred and some odd pounds and you can actually walk or kind of somewhat semi jog. And do cartwheels, don't forget that. All I know is we get that every match about the athlete that AC Romero is, and then you watch him do a drop kick where he gets like a quarter inch of hang time. It's, it's interesting, you know. I, I kind of was watching you know, these impacts and I, and you know leading up to this and, and thinking, you know, the stuff that they're that they're saying is going to happen on on Rebellion, they're really not building up to very well. And now, you know, you know, they never they never built to a tag title match at all. Um, they built to a women's, you know, they didn't really build to a women's title match at all, even though they said there was going to be one. I mean, it wasn't until the last like five minutes of the main event of the Impact before that there was any interaction between um, the champion and the challenger for weeks. You know, um, Jordan Grace and um, Taya Valkyrie, and it just it just felt like they were kind of mailing in a pay-per-view and I, and I realized that, you know, they, you know, the last three weeks, they kind of knew that, you know, they didn't have all their talent available, but at the same time, you know, Valkyrie was there, Grace was there, you know, and the, and there was all the tag teams there. So, I mean, why couldn't they have built to something that would have been meaningful? And now it turns out that it wouldn't have mattered because the stuff they were building towards isn't happening anyway, for the most part. Well, the North are in Canada. They're not there, are they? Now they are. Yep. And, I, and I'm uh, guessing that's where Tyler Valkyrie is as well, because they're not, that match isn't taking place either. Because I know, and I know uh, Eddie Edwards stayed home for personal reasons, and um, Taya went to Mexico before they shut down Tessa. Mexico. Tessa. Or Tessa, yeah, went to Mexico before they shut down Mexico. And then the North, are, you know, they were up in Canada when the stay-at-home order came. So, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like... Um, Double or nothing for <coughs> AEW. It's hard to see where it's going to go because we don't know who's going to be available. But at least with AEW, they've got some weeks to build up to it, and they've already announced they're going to be doing some live events. Not live, not live events, but I mean they're going to have like like so, they're going to do at least one or two live dynamites heading into Bound for Glory. Or, uh, see, double or nothing. And I saw the Twitter sphere just go ape about that, and all I wanted to say is about that they're not opening it up to live audiences it's no, not like going live it's, that's, right I, I think everybody just kind of assumed that that what it what that meant and I, and I was like why are you guys going so nuts about this i mean i i was reading one one um 
Twitter thread where people were like the swearing off AEW forever. And I'm sitting here thinking they record three episodes a time. Why can't one of those episodes be live? Right. That's exactly what I said. You know, it, it made no sense to me that people were going that ape about something that really wasn't that important. But, you know, whatever. Right, and they're and they have to be headquartered in the state that apparently has decided that pro wrestling is an is an essential business. So, um, as long as they do it without fans, so, I mean, I, I, I thought they had to really... do it in Georgia. What's that? I thought they had to do it in Georgia. Uh, they might be doing it in Georgia. I mean, that was originally they were doing it in Georgia in Georgia at um, um, QT Marshall's facility. So, I mean, possibly, but they're all, but they're also headquartered in Jacksonville and in Florida and, and Jacksonville they're able to run it too. So. Either way, I mean, they're still in a. They're still. The point remains the same that you know they can they can do a live show and then tape a couple, uh, two two or three episodes after that, and then they can do double or nothing live. So I mean, well, I mean, it's not that I, big of a deal. Or they could tape a you know a couple episodes before it. I would probably make more sense because otherwise, you know, you tape a couple episodes after, you're going to have these guys wrestling till four in the morning. But then again, too. If I could work for eight hours and then not work for three months, I think I'd do that too. Well, here's why I wouldn't do it that way. Because what if you've what if you've got some you set up something um, on one of the taped ones that, and now when you do the live special and somebody gets somebody like breaks their leg or they gets hurt they get hurt some other way, you know I I, I just don't, just don't think it makes sense to do the tape stuff. On the yeah, show that show that's true. After the live. That's true. That's true. That makes more. That makes sense. Because you start to run into things like um, uh, Ring of Honor. That one of the problems Ring of Honor has is that they've got um, live events and tape shows, and then it takes you three, four weeks of buildup on the on the tape show before you finally get to whatever happened on the live event, and the live event screwed up everything. Yep. Exactly. So. So yeah, that's so that, that's why I wouldn't do it that way. I mean, they could they could certainly do you know like they could do the. I'm not saying they have to like do it at like midnight or something, but they could always come back the next day and do some tapings. So. So I don't know. I I can't even comment. I mean, other than Kylie Ray, her gimmick is awful. Uh, She's right. really good. She's really good in the ring, but her gimmick is so so bad. I cannot stand Kylie Ray. So. <laughs> um. The other thing I was going to say, though, is that, you know, about the stuff we were just talking about is I would hate for, you know, Tessa Blanchard to lose the world championship because she's not wrestling here. And then, you know, have the like the Twitter verse like explode about that against impact at the same time. Tessa Blanchard really fucking needs to lose that. Championship. Yeah, I I don't know what they're they're planning on doing with it. I guess we'll find out this weekend. But um I, I I can't imagine that they're going to just give the belt to uh, Michael Elgin, but at the same time, you know Tessa can't defend her title. But then too, she can't defend her title because of it's not her fault. She can't, you know. So there's well, she didn't have to go to Mexico. No, she didn't. But she didn't realize I, 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 that she, when when Michael Elgin said that, I was like, "You're fucking right. She didn't have to go to Mexico." So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree, but especially during a worldwide pandemic, she should have thought a little bit ahead. But I also can't blame her for um, going before they shut the borders. She didn't realize they were going to shut the borders. No, but I, I've, I have felt 
that the problem with the problem with Tessa Blanchard is, and I know that Ryan's going to disagree with us. And there's probably plenty out there that are still big fans of Tessa Blanchard, but I feel like she's been rushed into the spot too quickly, you know, and and, and her storyline like peaked way too soon. And she's been she's been pretty much a lame duck as champion, as far as I'm concerned. I'm a big fan of Tessa Blanchard. A huge fan. I think she's one of the greatest female wrestlers ever. But the problem is she'll never go down that way because she was really rushed into wrestling against men before she was really in a position to. And then not just rushed into wrestling against men. Maybe something like they did with China in the 90s would have worked better where she gets a one-off match against a man and then six months later maybe gets another one-off match against a man then maybe you know a year later gets a uh, a title shot for the x division title instead they went hey you're wrestling against a man this weekend and within six months she's the the top title holder in the company yep you know and now she can never go back to wrestling against women and, and you know, I I was a big fan of Tessa Blanchard. I'm and I could be again, but I, I just feel like she's I feel like she sacrifices storytelling for spots. You know, and, and that's why I just have not been able to get into her matches lately. Well, and not just that, but she really sacrifices um wrestling to play the um woe is me babyface which that's not ever been Tessa Blanchard in any other match we've ever seen her against. But now that she's against men, she's now that um, Rey Mysterio babyface. And it does not help that, that every one of her matches she's had, at least since winning the championship, has been... Well, no, I would say against, almost every match she's had against a man has been the guys taking, her, taking advantage of her and, um, and, treating, her, and treating her like a woman because she's a woman. You know, and disrespecting and, and, and her and, her she, and treating her as if she's like a little kid or something. Acting like she's not on their level, kind of like you're wrestling with dad type of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I, I've seen that too. I'm on the same page as you on that. Yeah, so I mean, I, I really think that you know she she really needs to lose that championship. She she and, works a lot better as a challenger than as a champion, and and I think they really they if they're really if they're going to keep this intergender stuff going on going on. They need to. They need to, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, tell the guys to stop treating her so derisively when they're in their. They need to do like they did with Taya and um, Sexy Star and people like that in Lucha Underground, mm-hmm. where they didn't make it a big deal, where you could have a, a female versus a female match here and there. You could, but then you have them in in trios matches. You have them in, uh, you know, every now and then up against uh, up against a man, but not making it the spotlight of your entire organization. Yeah, I think it, it's I, really. I, it, I think the I think the other thing I despise about Tessa Blanchard being the world champion is I feel like everything after she lost to Sammy Callahan completely destroyed Sammy Callahan's character. Yep. Yep. You know, and not only it it really it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because we're in the same boat with impact or at least I am uh, in the same boat with impact that I was with um, MLW last year. They were on such a run, such great storytelling, such great wrestling. Everything was going just fantastic. 
and then all of a sudden the wheels fell off. You know, with um, MLW, it was when Sammy Callahan got fired and then Jim Cornette quit. You know, and the wheels fell off, and now all of a sudden they can't tell a story to save their lives. I feel like that same thing's going on with Impact. They had such great storytelling, such great performances and in-ring things and, and character development. And then all of a sudden, Tessa won the title, and now it seems like they cannot tell a story for shit. Unless it involves the rascals. They're still telling some strong stories, but but there's also a lot of the company that also feels very stagnant right now. You know, I you know I feel like the tag title scene is stagnant. I feel like the world title scene is. St- I mean, and any Eddie and Michael have been doing the have been doing a fantastic job. You know, you know Eddie Eddie Edwards and Big Mike have done a great job in their storytelling. You right. Know, the, the stuff the stuff with Sue Young and um and Havoc, Havoc. Jessica Havoc has been great. The stuff with Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary has been great. You know, the stuff with the Deaners has been great. But I mean, there's there's just some stuff that just feels like, um, so, like it's not going anywhere. That you know, that's I'm, I mean, I'm just trying to you know use something you say it's stagnant. I mean, it just feels like it's not going anywhere. So I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm in the same boat with them as I as with MLW, but definitely they're no they're not as hot for me as they were a couple, you know a few months ago. Well, I mean, with MLW, it's it's kind of the same thing. It's a lack of talent. You know, with MLW after um, Teddy it's Hart not, quit, it's not lack of talent is choosing to focus on the wrong talent, in my opinion. Yeah, because and that's a big thing is they they do put a lot of focus on the ECW originals when they've got some really really talented young guys that should be getting a whole hell of a. I wouldn't have an issue with Eddie Elgin, Michael, or I mean Michael Elgin, Eddie Edwards, <coughs> excuse me, Austin, Ace Austin, and. Um, you know, OVE kind of being the focal point of the show, but they seem like they've all kind of taken a back seat for Rob Van Dam and well, and people they, like that. And, and the other guy, and John and, Swinger, and the other guy, it's easy to forget about because because they do that same thing with him. It's, but but is an, an incredibly talented performer that should be better than he that should be should be bigger than he is and should be in that mix as Moose. Yeah, you know, I mean, he spent the last year and a half either you know. Proving he's the better, he's the best two-sword athlete, or that the TNA originals don't exist, or or this and that. When really he should be up there in the main event. Yeah, that's true. That is really true, and and it's at this point they're not. They spent their time um, building him up to that level when he was in in with Ace uh, um, Austin Aries and uh, and Eddie Edwards. Yep. You know, so he doesn't need to continually be built into that upper main event level. He's there. Yeah, and the longer they keep, doing, I mean, that's another thing, thing about you know that I think feels so stagnant is like they're not Moose does not elevate ever. So, um, no, he really doesn't. And you know, I mean, I mean, I'd be perfectly fine with with a main event that included guys like Rhino and Ken Shamrock, but they but they can't be like the focal point. You know, it should be, you know, it should be Moose, Sammy Callahan, uh. Eddie and Michael. Eddie, Michael, and then eventually it should be Madman Fulton in there too, and D- and Jake Christ, you know. So, and I wouldn't mind at someday having a guy like Ace Austin up there either, but I think he's got to work a lot more for that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. You know, but I, I think that I think that's the problem is that you know they they do these. You know, the sad, you know, the really sad thing is that they do what you and I have wanted for years for WWE to do, which is go back to that four pay-per-view format. 
Right. So you're, you're building to each of these, but but the problem is that it feels like they don't build to these shows to make them big moments. They just keep things going exactly the way it was. Well, part of it's because they have four pay-per-views, yes, but they also have monthly specials. So technically, they still have their 12 pay-per-view format. They're just not calling them pay-per-views. Right, but those could be those could be used as ways to build towards the big four pay-per-views, and they're just not. True. That's true. That is those, true. Those well, could be used much like WWF used to use the Saturday Night's main events. Well, we do have um, a little more time here. We do? And, yeah, we got like 10 minutes. All right. Um, and I had, you know, we talked about possibly doing the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. I have, um, with the time we have, I have a proposal. I'm not marrying you. Fuck. All right, well, how about we do, um, since you're not going to marry me, how about we do this, um, do one Mount Rushmore that's just greatest of all time. Plain and simple, greatest of all time. And then we kind of break away from there and maybe go with like a manager Mount Rushmore, uh, a decades Mount Rushmore. Like you can pick only one guy from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. Um, you know, maybe a tag team Mount Rushmore or something like that. Well, like every episode? No, just now. I mean, I can't imagine us. That we're going to have a lot of agreement here, so it's not like we're going to be um, spending an hour on each one. <laughs> you want me to think about this off the top of my head? Are you kidding? How can you not? You don't know who your four greatest tag teams of all time are. All right. So, and that's kind of and that's kind of what makes this a little more fun too, is because we're doing this on the spot. It's not like we sat and prepared this big long bit, and oh, we're going to argue here and we're going to do this. You know, it's just who's your four greatest, your Mount Rushmore of all time. All right, so you're gonna you're gonna kill me for this because I I thought about this a little bit more over the weekend. And I was like, I I cannot fucking have Ric Flair in my top four, never ever. So it's because because it, I'd be I'd be basing I wouldn't be basing it on what I watch. I'd be basing it on on what other wrestlers say about him because I never really I have not I I if I'm honest with myself in my heart of hearts, he was never really great to me. So. For me, and and a lot of that's because you missed his major prime. I, I'm going to say this straight up: his prime was the early '80s in NWA. Um, but but and, still, yeah, and that's possibly true. But like what I saw was basically the same match over and over and over again. Sometimes taking way too long. So and a, a lot of it was, you know, I mean, it, it goes more into that. Where for me, the reason why he's still. Um, you know, probably one of the, you know, he's on my Mount Rushmore is because I saw him every single week for five and a half years in the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties. And he was such a draw. He was the main reason I was watching wrestling, you know? So for me, he's, it's a whole different, whole different feeling than it would be for you because you didn't watch him to the extent I did. So I get it. I, I definitely get it. Um, I wish I could have five on there because if I if I did, there would be a guy I definitely would want to put in there. But but being that you know Mount Rushmore is only four people, so um, Hulk Hogan's gonna got to be there. Um, and I realize that Hogan also had a lot of matches that were exactly the same carbon copy. The prop the difference between them him I think is that he he was responsible for the two biggest booms in the history of professional wrestling. Um, mm. Number two, I'm gonna put in there Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, Tanahashi is to me, 
the greatest perform- performer in Japanese pro wrestling history. Um, he saved NJPW from a disaster caused by Antonio Noki's terrible business dealings. And, and Inoki would be on a lot of people's lists, I think, in that same spot as Tanahashi is. But, it, but for me, Inoki was always was pretty boring as a performer. Um, Chris Jericho is on there. Um, I think Chris Jericho, you know, we've talked about it on here, is the greatest. I think he's the greatest of all time. Um, he has defined so many eras to me. He always has a different character for when he for when he he enters a promotion or comes back to a promotion. And I just think that he does so many things so well. He's just amazing. And the fourth for me is Terry Funk. Um, he's not an obvious choice, but I but I we've talked before that I think Terry Funk is the ultimate pro wrestler. Um, he he is doing everything he can to win a match. And I think if it wasn't for Terry Funk, ECW would never have existed. If it wasn't for ECW, there would never would have been a Ring of Honor. Um, and if there wasn't for ECW, like I, I think that a lot of the wrestling that we see today would not be what we're seeing today. So those are my four. And I can't, I can't disagree with any of those, any of those. Um, but I think because this is a personal greatest of all time, um, I, there's certain things that I, I look at a little differently. Like for me, I'm going more with the people that entertained me and the people that I felt were the greatest, maybe a little bit underrated, but in my mind, they were great. Like it's hard for me to argue against Hulk Hogan just be, for what he's meant to this business. He is by far the most important person in wrestling outside of Vince McMahon ever. Um, but he doesn't make my top. He doesn't make my top four because these are people that, for me, have meant something more than that. Like Ric Flair is on mine because he. he if it wasn't for Ric Flair, I don't know that I'd be a wrestling fan. You know, I, I look at everything he did. And yeah, the, a, the AWA got me into it, and you know, the Midnight Rockers and all that stuff. But it was ultimately Ric Flair and the Horsemen and everything they did in the early '80s. That's why I'm a wrestling fan. Randy Savage. Can, can is, I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I, I understand that Ric Flair is why you're a wrestling fan, but also we've talked about how how special um, WrestleMania three was to your. Yep. Um, and that's that's where I was getting next. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Randy Randy Savage is my number two guy. He was Hogan's bitch. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I I know, and I and I understand that you know he, he never really got to the heights that he probably should have because of a guy like Hulk Hogan. But ultimately, when you watch WWF from, say, um, WrestleMania 3 until 1991, who was the workhorse? Who was the guy that was there entertaining week in and week out while Hogan was off, you know, doing movies and showing up every fourth pay-per-view, maybe showing up on a Saturday night's main event? Randy Savage was on every single superstars putting on a match of the year contender. You know, and then you you parlayed that into their WCW run, and I felt like at a lot of a lot of times Savage was the more compelling character, even when the NWO started up. So it, it's for me, Savage is my number two, uh, is my second one on there. And then you know we've talked. You, uh, you know, um, I I think personally that Randy Savage was a fantastic performer. He had he had maybe the greatest mind in the history of the business as far as putting together matches. And, you know, I, you know, and you know, one of the things that I lament is that we never got to see a proper match between Randy Savage in his prime and Shawn Michaels in his prime. Oh, that would have um, been amazing. But 
then and again, I think we got a version of that in the amazing career feud that Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins had against each other. So, yeah, yeah. And for me, I mean, Savage was such a he he might be, you know, and he gets a lot of credit for his um, mic work. But he could be one of the most underrated mic guys of all time. Uh, his, his interviews were just fascinating, every single one of them. You know, he, he we talk about Jake Roberts and how good he was at at talking quietly, and then we talk about Hogan and how good he was at yelling. Savage did it both, did both of it, mm-hmm. and he kept you on the edge of your seat in every promo he did. His matches were just works of art, even back in the you know nineteen eighty three, eighty four. You know, everything about Savage to me just. And that it was a tough decision because of what Hogan has meant to the business, but ultimately I have to go Savage. Um, obviously Jericho, we've talked about that so many times. Uh, Jericho is easily the greatest of all time in my mind right now. And then my, you know, my fourth is still AJ Styles. AJ Styles, you know, I was singing his praises back in '02 as one as as a future best in the world, and, and you know he proved that, and he continues to prove that. I mean. Even at his advanced age, I've seen him put on some just amazing matches with Daniel Bryan and Mustafa Ali and things like that. So if I had to pick my personal top four, it's those four. Yeah, and if I was going for my, if I was going my, my top four favorite, you know, top four, like best wrestlers of all time, AJ would be right there up there with Jericho. But that's just not, that's just not the way I did my list. Right. You know, so I mean, I so. I, I can't argue, you know, I can't argue strenuously against any of those guys on there. I, I think it's amazing not to have Hogan on there. I think it's, I think it's kind of amazing that neither one of us had Steve Austin on there. But <laughs> well, know, it is what it is, I guess. And so. see, that's that's kind of where I was going next, you know, with the generational one. You know, the '80s. If we're going to look at this legitimately, and let's do, let's do. Um, I'll give an '80s, you give an '80s. I'll give a '90s, you give a '90s. So and back and forth. But I mean, if we're going to go generational, and with this one, I'm looking more at who was the most important to the business at the time, and also, you know, was a top draw, was a great performer, and blah blah blah. I if I'm going to pick an '80s generational '80s wrestler, I have to go Hogan. Ahead of Flair, ahead of Savage, I felt like Hogan had a more complete decade. He was responsible for, um, you know, the 80s. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, wrestling would not have become popular in the 80s. Plain and simple, no matter what anybody else was doing. So what are we doing? Are we, am I go, are we going back and forth? If you want to, or, or I can just run down mine. I, I figured it would be a little more fun if we go back and forth, because I think the 90s are going to be a little rough. Okay, well... If we're going to go back and forth, let's just say that neither one of us can pick the other, pick somebody the other guy already picked. You think so? I don't think you have to do that. I mean, All right, well, then I was going to say, okay, I agree with Hogan then. <laughs> now, now I, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard not to, with the eighties. There's no dispute. Uh, honestly, there's, there's a very, it's very hard to dispute the eighties. I mean, you could make a case for flair, but flair was really at his best in the early part of the eighties. By the end of the eighties, he was not as good. Savage really didn't hit his stride till about 88, um, arguably. Uh, so, you know, while Savage and Flair are two of my you greatest of all time and definitely on my Mount Rushmore, they don't make my Mount Rushmore for the 80s because that was Hogan's era, plain and simple. It's hard to dispute that with anybody. But don't you think two of, well, maybe you don't, but I think two of Rick Flair's best years were in the 80s, like 83 and 89. 
Right, but did he did he run from eighty four to eighty eight with the championship? Did he completely revolutionize wrestling? Did he have cartoons and and bring literally people to the stands the way Hogan did? No, and that's why I think you also have to include um, Roddy Piper in there. Yeah, that's because to me there is no Hogan without Piper. No, but uh, Hogan or Piper was pretty much out of Hogan's life by like eighty six. And are we and are we and are we leaving and are we you know limiting this to to professional wrestlers because because to me actually you know the Bobby Heenan family. Oh, we're getting we're getting there. I mean, I, it, that was another one I wanted to do was you know like possibly a uh, you know faction of all time, manager of all time, you know that type of thing. Yeah, but I think the, but I think the Bobby Heenan family and Hulk Hogan are so inextricably tied throughout the eighties. You know, it was that you know that was what that was what Hogan what fueled Hogan's drive was you know pitches against King Kong Bundy and and Andre the Giant and um, he, didn't he ever run with and you know what I mean, Mister Perfect. Yeah, I mean, and if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Piper and it wasn't for you know great heels make the face, if it wasn't for Piper, if it wasn't for um, Heenan family, Hogan would Hogan have been as popular? Probably not. Yeah, that, that's 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 the thing. Is like you know. So who else is on your eighties list? Because I'm because I'm curious. My eighties list. That was it. I was just gonna do one from the eighties. Just Hogan. Yep. Just this is a you know a decades oh, okay. Mount Rushmore. So we're seeing. Okay, I see what we're doing now. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go Sting. God, I that's mean, hard I, to dispute. I mean, I, I mean, I realize that he, you know, he really only started like in '87, but I mean, he. Um, I think he was part of getting the getting the country's attention a little bit on the NWA slash WCW in the late eighties. So. Yeah, that's that's a hard one to dispute. Um, jump into the nineties. This is where I run into an issue because there's so many that deserve it, but I don't think anybody deserves it more. Than uh, Shawn Michaels. I mean, Shawn Michaels, yeah, maybe his run at the top wasn't as prosperous. But when you look back at what Shawn Michaels did, Shawn Michaels ushered out the um, the old guys. He kind of broke apart the next generation while leading it, or the new generation era, while leading it in the cartoon era. And then he... And Triple H almost single-handedly brought in the Attitude Era with DX. Not to mention all of the five-star classics he had throughout the time. And that was a tough one because I really wanted to give it to Austin. But I think Shawn Michaels meant more to the 90s than than Austin did. He might have meant more to the 90s than Austin did, but but I don't... I think Steve... I think if it wasn't for Steve Austin the WWE might not even exist anymore. You know, I, and, and honestly, my favorite, maybe my, maybe my favorite feud of all time or my favorite rivalry of all time is Steve Austin versus Dustin Rhodes. And that all took place in the nineties in WCW. You know, it took place like from 1992 all the way through 1995. You know, that, that was an amazing time where both guys built each other up so well and I loved that character of stunning Steve Austin and all the iterations of him. And then he and then he goes to ECW, and he just, you know, 
evolves into the Stone Cold type character and then rolls into into the WWF where they he just starts completely. building and building and building and and I don't think that if Steve Austin had hadn't emerged when he did that the WWE would even still be around right now. So I think I think that if you're talking about the 90s that Steve Austin is the guy. See, and, and I, that was one that I really, really, because unfortunately, you know, I'm saying we're doing this off the cuff, but I've actually been working on this for months in my own head. And I did really go back and forth about Michaels and Austin. Um, I just, I, to me, it, it was, it came down to really the fact that Austin was amazing in WCW. He was amazing in his run as the, uh, as, um, the ringmaster. Uh, when he started out in his Austin gimmick, the the Stone Cold gimmick, you know, stuff like him sitting on the on the ring post staring at his watch, you know, things like that was just phenomenal and stuff that you'll never see again. But when it ultimately came down to to me for me was the impact that a guy like Shawn Michaels had, not just on you know on you know even though he was partially responsible for the crap that happened in the early 90s um he also had so many great moments up until you know including just industry changing moments as much as i want you know i'll 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 give gold dust credit where credit's due he's he was really the first character of the attitude era um but ultimately if it wasn't for dx i don't know that the attitude era would have taken off the way that it did um, you know, he was part of the Montreal screw job. He was, you know, he, he was a dick backstage, but he put on amazing matches. He ran some great storylines and, and that's ultimately why I chose him, him over, over Austin. I think Austin Shawn Michaels founded DX along with triple H, but it wasn't the Shawn Michaels version of, of DX that, that took off the way that it did. I mean, I mean, I, I people get this wrong and and it's ridiculous to me that, that, that Shawn Michaels was, you know, is considered to be that big of a part of DX. And it was ridiculous to me that Shawn Michaels and Triple H themselves combined to reform DX so many times because the DX that really took off, the D-Generation X that that I remember is the, was is the team with involving... Outlaws uh, and x Led by Triple H, where, you know, the night after Shawn Michaels pimped off with his back injury... Triple H took the ball and ran with it, like he said, and brought in the New Age Outlaws and brought in X-Pac to join him in China. And that five-person team is, to me, Degeneration X. And I, while I'm agreeing with you to some point, some of the stuff that, that Triple H and Sean did by themselves is unheard of at the time. A lot of the little skits and things that uh, DX did that, you know, they didn't have as many, you know, little outstanding funny moments. They had the two that I can think of off the top of my head when they mocked the nation of domination and their invasion of WCW. Outside of that, it was just their kind of their antics, you know, their their ring, war, you know, their uh, matches and their promos, you know, small oh my promos. God. Matches and like that. really in a wrestling in a wrestling conversation. Which is which doesn't which didn't really happen during the nineties. I mean, the majority of the matches were a minute and a half long. Um, but it, it, to not look at what 
the stuff that Triple H and Sean did right after they turned heel and formed DX, the their their feud with Sergeant Slaughter, wearing the mask with the little wipers on them, their um, State of the Union address where they uh, used every basically every swear word in the book, but showed yeah, us that how was great funny and it was great. But I mean, it, it was it was like over like a four or five month span. It did not define the '90s the way that Steve Austin did. I'm not saying it defined it. I'm saying that it it ushered it. And I, I I don't I don't know, man. I mean, I to me to me Steve Austin was the guy in the '90s, and and I and I and I don't think that Shawn Michaels would even would even have be in the conversation for me. To me, I mean, if if, if you're not going to talk about Steve Austin, you've got to talk about The Rock. You got to talk about Mankind, Hogan, uh, Benoit, uh, Jericho. I mean, to, to me, those guys define the 90s a lot more and, and are bigger stars in the 90s than Shawn Michaels is. Shawn Michaels, yeah. Shawn Michaels had a great, like, four or five-year run where he was where he was in that span. I totally agree with that. But to, but to me, he wasn't the megastar that, you know, that those other guys were in the 90s. And see, that's why I downplay The Rock. Um, as great as The Rock is, The Rock was kind of a one-trick pony who really only had a... Uh, uh, a four-year run on top where he was really that big of a draw before he started to kind of tail off and, and ran off to Hollywood. Yes, but you know, two he, of those were in the 90s. <laughs> so right. we're talking about the 90s. But I'm, ju- I'm just saying. If you're saying, talking about all time, yeah, I totally agree with you, but we're not talking about all time. And see, that's if for me, that's why I... Undertaker was 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 way more was me way more a guy in the 90s than Shawn Michaels was. See, and I, I, I'm probably giving him a lot more credit because I was entertained. He was really the only thing that was entertaining me, especially when Hart was gone on his hiatus, and and then you know the, it, I, I don't feel like if it wasn't if it was for Shawn Michaels that Bret Hart would have ever turned heel and formed one of the greatest heel factions of all time, and had one of the better heel runs of all time in eight, in '97 like he did. Um, so it's I might be giving Hart, uh, Shawn Michaels a little more credit, but then again, too, this is. And I and I might not be looking at it from an industry standard like I did with Hogan in the in the 80s, but for me, Shawn Michaels was a wrestler of the 90s. Yeah, I, and and you're way off base. I'm sorry, but you are. Then you're because, really going to hate my 2000s because, pick because because he, he wasn't because he wasn't even around when when the crucial time was happening when it was time for when really, when really the nitty gritty was happening. He wasn't even there when the company finally turned it around. No, but I think his antics uh, helped usher it in. Sure. Who's your 2000s pick? Oh, wait, I, gotta, I already gave my 90s pick, Austin. I yeah. got the right pick of the 90s, so go go ahead. Who's your pick for the 2000s? It's got to be Cena. I don't know a more polarizing character in the in the 2000s than Cena. Somebody that would sell out houses, uh, somebody that... Uh, kind of kept the wrestling world talking and he was to me was basically the hogan of the 2000s he was the hogan of the 2000s but i can't stand the motherfuckers <laughs> no i get it i get it so you know i mean there was there were so many times that you know the you know um 2002 to 2004 i was really a big scene fan, even even into 2005 but but the way that they tur- they turned his character to me was a betrayal to all of his fans and and so for that reason, and the fact that he's never gone back to the to to being you know the the guy that that 
the guy that he was built up that that we we as fans built him up as something else. We cheered for a guy that they decided to change as soon as he made it to the top, and that to me is unforgivable. Um, for me, the guy in the two thousands, the guy that kept me that kept me loving pro wrestling, the, the guy that made me want to tune in every single week, no matter what was going on, is a guy you mentioned at the top of the sh- you know at the top of this discussion, and that's AJ Styles. Yep. You know, in the 2000s, the guy that that to me was professional wrestling was AJ Styles. Yeah, and that's that was another hard one for me because I really wanted to go with my heart and pick AJ Styles, um, but ultimately I I kind of picked the guy that what I felt like was the best for the business at the time. And unfortunately, as much as I hate it, I'd much rather say Randy Orton. I'd much rather say Edge. I'd much rather say AJ Styles. Hell, I'd even rather say Jeff Jarrett. Um, but ultimately I felt like the, the guy who was best for the business during that, during the two thousands was Cena. And I will not dispute that he's, he was, he made the best for the business in the two thousands, but I will say that the business practices that they, that they used with him in the two thousands led to them not having any superstars now in the 2010s, in the 2020s, in the 2010s, in the 2020s, not having any major next level generational type stars. Yes, I agree. Exactly. Yeah. They, you know, they, they kept Cena, Strong, way too strong for way too. Strong. The, the what really ruined them was keeping strong up uh, him strong up until 2018. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they really, um, you know, you there's nobody r- really that got the rub from John Cena and became a major superstar. Daniel Bryan was the closest. <laughs> Daniel Bryan and CM Punk were the closest, but. But CM they were Punk, both super. They were, but CM Punk was was shot down by the company when he should have been riding at the top as the biggest star, and then Daniel Bryan got injured right after right after he, that storyline completed. But they were also from, uh, they were also major super. They were also arguably major superstars before John Cena. Um, not to the but, level that they, sh- that they should have been by be- by beating John Cena. I will agree with you that nobody uh, outside of maybe Kevin Owens and possibly AJ Styles benefited from a feud with John Cena. AJ, I'll give you Kevin Owens. I won't. I think I think if I think if Owens had beaten Cena in, the, in match number two, then we could talk about that. But but considering that that he only beat Cena that one time, I don't think that, I don't think that's true. See, for me, with him beating him in his debut match and then um, turning on him and, and going on that epic heel run, um, I think that made Kevin Owens a star. I think they really didn't capitalize on it, but I think that the, all the wheels were in motion for Kevin Owens to be a mega star. And they just, you know, because of his look, Vince kind of poo-pooed him, so he never really got the rub he should have. But I think all the wheels were set in motion for him too. And I can't say that I can't say that about anybody else. <laughs> okay, so now we're ta- now we're into the twenty ten. So who you got there? This is a rough one, a really really rough one for me, because um, my heart wants to go with AJ. I, I think AJ really came into his own about 2009, 2010. He really started to develop into this um, otherworldly performer. Um, you know, and then his jaunt in, in Ring of Honor, his run to Japan, and then in, in WWE, it's hard to dispute what he was to this business. But ultimately, if I'm going to say who was 
best for this business in the 2010s? Kazuchika Okada. There you go. You got to the right place. Go ahead. It's I, I don't know anybody. You talked about Yoshi Tanahashi kind of saving um, New Japan from what Anoki did. But ultimately, Okada took that what Tanahashi did and took it to so many new levels that it's now pro, it's now the easily the second best promotion on the planet. It, it, he's in there night in, night out giving amazing performances. There's not much I can say wrong about uh, Kazuchika Okada in the last decade. That is absolutely the right answer for the 2010s. Um, Kazuchika Okada um, took that ball that he was given by Hiroshi Tanahashi after years of struggling to overcome him in what was a great storyline and great decisions and eventually just ran with it to the point where he is the most consistent wrestling performer on the planet. Um and, you know, as, as much as, you know, in the last couple of years, I've been like, you know, they, or actually last year, you know, really last year that, you know, they went back to that well too early. The fact is that Kazushiko Okada was the wrestler of the 2010s. Yep. And um, his performance at the top of that promotion led them to being a national promotion. I mean, along with, you know, along with help for guys like, like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, of course, but, and, uh, and Tanahashi himself. But I mean, really... Without the contributions of Hiroshi Tanahashi, and then and then and then um, building on Tanahashi into Okada, New Japan Pro Wrestling is not in the spot where it is a national, where it's an international promotion, the way that it has become. Exactly, and a lot of that it, that was a very hard one for me because I really felt like AJ um, was on top of his game and probably the best wrestler in the world from 2012 to 2018. Um, but ultimately, I felt like Okada did more for the wrestling business than AJ did. Another guy that I strongly considered and in I, this I spot. Those, and I think, and I'm, I'm sorry, John. I, I just want to say I think those are the right two guys. You know, I, I think I, th- I really think that Okada and AJ are not worthy worthy two best wrestlers on the wrestlers on the planet from the, in that time frame, but also are the two right guys to be considering in the in the top in the 2010s. The only other guy that I even slightly considered, even slightly considered in the 2010s was CM Punk. Um, because I felt like he put, after, I want to say like 2009, 2010, the horrible way that uh, that Hogan and Bischoff just, and Dixie Carter destroyed TNA. Or, you know, and just, we finally had that somewhat decent competitor, Ring of Honor, you know, they had they had some momentum, a lot of it because of CM Punk in the 2010s, but they still weren't really on the on the docket. And New Japan, you know, was was really kind of under under the radar around the time when CM Punk made his uh, made his run. But ultimately, I feel like CM Punk did a lot to put the spotlight on wrestling. Um, it was just mishandled so badly. But he was the only other guy that I even thought about in that situation. Yeah, like you said, he was mishandled so badly. He also only wrestled for the first three years of that decade. You know? Was it? I thought it was longer than that because wasn't the Daniel Bryan stuff in 2015? Or was it no, 14? 2014. So, so okay. and, and, and I go by decades by the actual mathematics of the decade. So 2011, 2012, 2013, and then he left... 
right after the Royal Rumble in 2014. So, I mean, really, he only had three years in that decade. Okay, yeah. But he's the only other guy in this decade that I would have even considered. I mean, ultimately, it came down to AJ and Okada, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, sadly, the guy that, you know, a guy that really the decade could have been about um, got injured at the, really the beginning of the decade, and that's Edge, you know. Yep. Yeah, I think Edge, I think, honestly, I think if Edge was still wrestling in the ring, well, I mean, he's back now, but if he had stuck around, I would be just as sick of him as I am of the other Attitude Era 90s guys, which is really sad to say. You know, um, I hate bringing this guy up. I really do. But if you're talking about the WWF, probably the guy, the wrestler of the decade has got to be considered to be Brock Lesnar. The 2010s? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, as much as, as, much as I don't you know, like the style that he's developed because it's just become so, so de rigueur these days, it, but, I mean, but really, I mean, he's been the focal point in the WWE since 2013. 2012 even. Yeah. Yeah. He really has. I mean, since his, since he's come back, he's been the top draw. And like you said, as much as you like to say it, there's really not been anybody that's been above him. Even Cena. Even Cena, you know, Reigns, Rollins doesn't, you know, Daniel Bryan doesn't matter. It's, it's You know, Brock Lesnar has been, you know, he's basically, controlled one or both of those championships over you know over the last seven years well this this little discussion turned into a lot more than i thought it was going to i figured we'd (laughs) run through like six seven of these in 10 minutes so (laughs) i don't know if you want us very well (laughs) right (laughs) i i don't know if you want i mean we could certainly continue this i'm i'm way more than happy talking about this or we could table some of these other ones maybe bring a couple of them back next week or Something yeah, like that. Because we still have another show to do tonight. So. That is true. So, guys, um, you're, you're hopefully listening to us on YouTube or Lords of Pain Radio. But if you are on YouTube, uh, be sure to hit that uh, like button, hit, ring the notification bell, uh, hit the subscribe button, and and help us out any way you can. Also, our Patreon.com slash uh, Kingdom of Honor. All of our archives are on there and all of the stuff. In fact, what we're about to do here in a couple seconds... <coughs> is an, uh, a Patreon-exclusive show where we're going to break down um, it, It's Death Before Dishonor to 2011 from Ring of Honor, and that brings us to a whole other discussion on Wrestler of the Year. Um, so be, be sure to check that out. That'll be on Patreon.com slash Kingdom of Honor. Probably not tonight. I'll probably get to it tomorrow after I'm done with work before our Dynamite show. Um, but that'll definitely be on this week. And, uh, of course, Twitter. Uh, I'm at Regi Co-op. He is at ZanmanLOP. Use hashtag KOH and hashtag DAD um, to follow us everywhere on there. And make sure you stay tuned to the LOP, other LOP radio shows. We'll be back with you tomorrow night with Dynamite After Dark, right after AEW Dynamite goes off the air. Um, on Thursday, Imp will be here with his Imp's LOP Radio, Imp's LOP radio Adventure. On Friday, the guys are back with WWF, the Legacy Series. I just listened over the last couple of days to their show on WrestleMania 3. It's downright spectacular. Those guys do an awesome job. Um, And then we'll be back with you next week with Kingdom of Honor talking about the second night of Rebellion. And probably more Mount Rushmore talk because, to be honest, I'm enjoying this shit. Yeah, me too. Um, That's all we've got. We'll try to do better next time. 
This is Shane saying long days, pleasant nights, and Jeff saying goodbye. <laughs>